Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. Uh, as we sit here today on the on the back of the gale, my guest today, some of you probably know him. His name is Willie Manchester. Willie, how are you today? I'm doing good, Mark. Hey, thank- come down. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining me. So um, prior to this, we've not had really no prep. We, yeah. You've listened to a couple of the podcasts and have an idea of where we're going to go here. Yeah. So let's let's dive in. Where were you born? I was born in Ballard, Washington. Uh, right at Swedish, and then uh, I was raised just up the street in Shoreline. So I lived there with uh, with my uh, family, my older brother, my older sister, and my mom and dad for shoot that was yeah same house grew up in the same house all the time until I moved out. They still live there? No, they sold it uh, recently. So when how do we how do we get the bug? What did uh, you well, grow up around it? Or? I did. So all of my my dad and almost all of my uncles have fished at one point in their lives or another and some of them stuck with it most of them didn't but uh my uncle that i was really close with uh kari Toivola, he uh he kind of got the bug in me and always was talking about the stories and everything and so i always kind of wanted to be a fisherman and I, re- I specifically remember this report that i wrote in eighth or ninth grade and it was like what do you want to be in the future you know what's your career going to be and i said i was either going to be a professional snowboarder or a bering sea fisherman and uh, my snowboarding career didn't really work out, so all my dreams came true. I'm a Bering Sea fisherman. Okay. So, what was your what was your production? I mean, it was your uncle, but I mean, mm-hmm. actually putting foot on a boat. Putting foot on a boat was with my uncle. So I graduated high school at 17, and literally the day after I graduated, I was on a plane flying up to Bristol Bay, Alaska. And I was going up to work uh, on my uncle's boat, the Snowy River, which was a 32 foot gill netter. Um, we were going to do the sockeye run there in Bristol Bay. And prior to this, I had never had a job of any kind. Uh, Not that I was like a spoiled kid or anything, but just, you know, never really had to work for anything. So, um, went up there thinking I was going to be this, you know, big, bad crab fisher, not even crab fisherman, just a fisherman. And, uh, my uncle definitely kind of taught me the ropes. Wasn't very gentle about it. Can, and, can I ask you to explain what a gill netter is? I mean, yeah. A lot of folks know what a crab boat is. but the- So a gill net, uh, depending on what style, the styles that I've always worked on is a, a forward houseboat. And on the back deck, we have a big uh, drum that we keep the net on. So we'll set the net right off the back deck, shoot it out, try and block off the river a little bit. So if the fish swim right into the net, gets stuck. Then we haul that net up and we have to physically pick the fish out of the net using our hands or picks. And, uh, yeah, we just do that for about a month and a half. Um, hands get sore. Oh man. Like nothing you'd ever believe. You wake up in the morning and your hands are just totally numb from fingertips to elbows. You can barely use silverware in the morning. You probably got uh, that story coming. Okay. So now we're back. We're on the first boat. Yep. It's your uncle's boat. Uh huh. It's a gill netter. Uh huh. All right. Tell us how that experience went. (laughs) That experience went, like I was saying, I thought I was going to be all really good at this and, you know, uh, just, just imagine myself being great at it. And I got up there and it hit me that I was not. I didn't know any knots. I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't realize how hard the work actually was going to be. And my uncle, uh, a great story about it is uh, my birthday was, I had my 18th birthday while I was on that boat. And yeah, he's up on the, the, the wheelhouse and he turned around. Well, my, my brother and I were working on deck together. Turns around and he goes, hey, Willie, happy birthday. You know, it's your birthday. And I go, Oh, awesome. Cool. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Carney. He goes, yeah, get the fuck back to work. <laughs> so that was kind of like, oh, okay. All right. No cake and keep ice your, cream. Keep your head down and just keep trying to go. And uh, yeah, so 
after that, realized that I wasn't the best fisherman. I flew home from that season. I got home and I was still sleeping from, you know, I got home that night and I was sleeping, you know, sleeping in the next day. And I got a call from a very good friend of mine, Casey McManus. And he said, hey, do you want to come up and work on the Royal Viking, which is a, a 108-foot crab boat? He goes, hey, beautiful boat. Yeah, beautiful boat. And he goes, you want to come work on it? And I'm like, no, I didn't, I didn't really have that great of time. I wasn't really that good at it. I don't know, Casey. And he goes, all right, cool. I got a flight for you at 9 a.m. tomorrow. I'll see ya. So <laughs> he, next day, I was like, he's that way. Yeah, he is that way. So I jumped on a plane, flipped catch can, and jumped on the, the Royal Viking. And that's kind of when I, I got my, my love for fishing. Cause then it was, I'd already gotten the crap kicked out of me on the first boat, you know, and I had my realization that, okay, I got to work pretty hard. And then I was working with Casey. He's a good buddy of mine and a couple other guys that were a little younger and big Harold was running it. Oh yeah, man. I miss that guy. Oh yeah. Me too. So, uh, so yeah, real quick. So, uh, straight up when you're 17, but I want to get, we, we didn't really discuss what year that was, What? Oh, okay. Yeah. That was put everything uh, in context of an era uh -huh. here. So I graduated high school in 2006 mm -hmm. and, and literally the, literally the day after I graduated, I was on the plane. This is 11 years up. ago. Yep. Talking 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what did you make that first season? I doing, doing the gill netting. I believe it was, uh, for like four or five weeks of work. I made just over $10,000. Okay. As a half share green guy who didn't know nothing. You were happy. Yeah. Oh, I was, okay. I was ecstatic. Okay. Yeah. So now you find yourself up on the Royal Viking with big uh -huh. Harold, uh, -huh, with big Harold and, uh, Ended up, they, you know, those guys really taught me a lot and kind of broke me in. And um, I figured, okay, this is actually something I could do. This is something I like doing. And then I started to think about where am I going to go next? Because I don't have a permanent spot on this boat, so i got to figure something out. And uh, I applied at uh, Trident Seafoods, and they got me a job on the Columbia, a 123-foot trawler. And it was only supposed to be a two-week gig. And then they were going to try and help me, you know, find another place. So I get on there for two weeks, really liked working with the guys. We were trawling for Pollock in the Bering Sea. Um, and uh, after two weeks, they dropped me off in Dutch Harbor. And uh, I was going to go, I forget what else, I was going to go do something else. And I get off, I'm sitting in Dutch, and I was actually, I had a rental truck, and I was sleeping in the rental truck because I didn't, I didn't have anywhere to go, and I was trying to find another job. So for three nights, I slept in a rental truck in Dutch. And then... Because uh, you, were, you were on contract, right? So no contract, no... Yeah, you're on your own. I was, yeah, I was on my own, just waiting to get a call for another job or if I could find one by walking down the docks. Who, and, was, uh, who was running the Columbia? Uh, Jack Mullen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Jack was our first episode. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I really like Jack. And so after three nights of sleeping up there in the truck, uh, I was at, I was at the Trident dock on the Far West Leader, and I, I, I was just about to go on there, but the Columbia pulled in, pulled up, tied up right next to us. They go, wait. Get back on the boat. We need you. So <laughs> jump back on the Columbia. And after, uh, yeah, after it's supposed to be a two week trip, turned into a three year trip with so. a, with a, with a three day hiatus sleeping in a truck. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. A three year trip. Well, I mean, well, three, three years total. Stayed on. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh -huh. So how did that experience go? Cause now we've, we've gill netted in Bristol Bay, which is a totally chaotic, chaotic experience. Right? Yes. It's, yeah, that's battle fishing. That's like where boats are almost ramming into each other and you're fighting on this imaginary line that you can't cross mm -hmm. because that's out of the fishing boundaries. So everybody's butted up 
all 1,800 boats are butted up against this imaginary line trying to get the, fir the first set where the fish are first piling into the river. Right, because there is a quota there, but not an individual boat not, quota. No, it's, 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 it's catch it's, as much as you can as catch. You can catch of the, the fleet, big quota. Yeah, the fleet has a, a certain quota. So, so that's why it's such a mad rush. Is everybody's just trying to get their piece of that pie. Like, yeah. Much like crab was back in the, back yeah. in the day, mm -hmm. you know, be, before rationalization and, and quotas. Yep, exactly. So, okay. Um, so then you move over to, to, to crab in a little bit. Now you're doing trawling for three years. Mm -hmm. There's already three different big fishery experiences here. Yeah. Yeah. So working on the Columbia was really great for me. And I really, I, I didn't want to leave and I really liked it. But after, you know, three years, that's six seasons. So uh, I knew pretty much everything to do on a trawler. I was, I considered myself full share. So I went up and I asked, um, it was actually um, Rick. Um, it's Rick's last name. Rick Clark? Yeah, Rick Clark. I asked Rick, I was like, hey, you know, it's the end of an A season. And I go, hey, uh, I want to be full share. Uh, you know, I want to get paid full. I'm doing everything these guys are doing. And so they had a meeting and decided they were going to give me a little bump in pay, but they weren't going to give me full share. And I said, well, you know what? I really like you guys, but I got I to gotta move on. I got to do my own thing. So I quit. And it was the end of the season. I, you know, I made sure I finished out the season, but I quit. Kind of said I was going to do something else and quit fishing, actually. And move on and uh you're gonna go snowboard yeah i was, I was gonna do something i didn't i had no idea what i was gonna do and so uh after a month of just kind of trying to figure it out and everything my brother approached me with the idea why don't we buy a bristol bay book you know like why not he he'd been uh fishing bristol bay for like six eight years at this time all on your uncle's boat on my uncle's boat mm -hmm. so he knew what he was doing up there and I'd been fishing on, you know, the Columbia, so I, I knew how to fish, not as well in Bristol Bay. But uh, so, yeah, after a month off, I bought a boat, my first boat. That was when I was 21. What was the boat? The Arctic Osprey was the first boat. How big was she? 32-foot aluminum hull, uh, Bristol Bay boat, you know, the forward house, big net reel on the back, stern roller, had a little 200-horsepower uh, diesel engine in it, nothing special, did about six knots with the hammer down. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, we bought that boat, fixed her up a little bit, and just ran that thing as hard as we could each season. I, I still own that boat, too. So my brother and I worked together on that boat for, a, I can't remember exactly how many, it was five or six years we worked together on that boat. And uh, and then finally, and, okay, well, I was working on, so once I bought that boat, I would go up and do Bristol Bay on there, and then I, would, I started fishing on uh, other boats. I got on to the Billiken. And I started crabbing on there and I stuck on, on the Billiken for about four years. And that was, that was where I really, really excelled and really became as good of a fisherman as I am today. That's those guys really taught me up and there's no excuses. Just hammer down and go. And for it. who was running the Billiken at that time? That was uh Jim Hilt. Jim Hilt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Jim Hilt. And, uh, had a couple of big Samoan guys on there that, you know, Work with a with a four hundred pound Samoan, and they don't take no for an answer. They say get to it, and you get yes, to sir. It. Yeah. So uh, they really taught me up. And Jim, that so, was so awesome. Summers, you're running your own program. You've, you've got you're the owner of the boat. You're owner of the boat, but I was working on deck. Oh, so, so you're, you were. I was working on deck. My brother was up in the wheelhouse, and uh, after a few years, we kind of finally. I had my ideas, and my brother had his ideas. So the last year that we worked together, uh, what ended our season was we. Uh, there's some there's some punches thrown, some fish flying around, some punches thrown, and we said, you know what, we gotta we gotta not work together anymore. You know, how brothers are. You bet. So uh, that was you know that kind of sucked, but we had a good season regardless, and.
got home and my brother called me after a few days of being home and he goes, you know what? Like we should still work together. We're brothers love each other. Let's, uh, let's figure out how to make this work. So we made a plan to buy another boat and took us another, another, so one more year on the Arctic Osprey, which I ran it the next year and Griffin stayed home. And then, uh, and then the year after that, we bought our second boat. And the entire time you're still going up for winters doing Opelio still, still and, up and doing Tanner when possible. Or? Yep. Still doing, uh, Opie's and, and Tanner's and King Crab on, on the Billiken. On the Billiken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's keep it flowing. Yeah. So, so after that, um, we bought our second boat, the Finnegan, which is another Bristol Bay, aluminum hull, Ford house boat, a little bit bigger, a little bit nicer. Um, oh, we got the boat. <laughs> my, my brother got the boat the first year, uh-huh. mainly because I, I, you know, I was extremely familiar with the Arctic Osprey, and I just knew it's in and outs. I mean, I've been working on it for six years at this time. I'd been every single place on that boat that you can get to. I'd been there and knew it like the back of my hand. So, uh, so he got the Finnegan. He ran the the Finnegan for two years, and I ran. I continued to run the Osprey, and those were those were great years for us. You know, we worked together really well as long as we were on different boats. <laughs> so uh, we worked together, caught a lot of fish, got our permits, because permits are expensive as well, you know, so it costs just about, just about as much as a boat. Is there a limited number of permits? There are. So, so someone's got to be selling in order for you to be buying. Yep. Yeah, uh-huh. And so they, uh, I forget how we acquired our second one, but yeah, we just came across a couple of good deals, bought those and, and just fished for two years together. And then uh, he's since kind of retired from fishing. and um the finnegan we had put a lot of money into and made it really nice it's a beautiful boat now um and so i took that over and i've been running that for two years and uh we lease out the arctic osprey now to to other people to run and and that's what we're doing now with our bristol bay boats yeah you keep referring to your your brother as your older brother right yeah how much older is he he is shoot now you're putting me on the spot (laughs) he's uh two years three years older than me we're brothers. We love each other. I don't know how old he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel bad. He's going to listen to this and be like, oh, thanks, Willie. Hey, don't worry. We'll get him on here next. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So now, uh, now, so now you've been running doing. that. Uh huh. So obviously you're a captain. Yeah. You know? So, uh, captain in the, captain in the summer, deckhand in the winter. Yep. And you're still doing that rotation now, right? But yep. just a different boat. Yep. I, uh, so when we, let's see, this, the second year that I had the Finnegan, I got an offer to go work on the Cornelia Marie because my, my uncle had bought it um, from, from Cornelia and he wanted, uh, he wanted me to go on there and uh, I was just ready for a change. Billiken was, uh, was a great boat, but it was time for me to see if I could move up, you know, and I figured, shoot, my uncle just bought a boat. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of chance that I can move up there. So I jumped over onto the Cornelia and I worked on, uh, on there doing, King Crab, Opie's, and Tanner's, and continue to fish Bristol Bay. That boat got a massive makeover here. A couple it years did, ago. and it's it went from being pretty. It, I mean, to tell the truth, I wouldn't have gone and worked on it if it didn't get that massive makeover. It was really in rough shape, mm-hmm. so they they really made it nice and well, made it, it a nice set boat. for a few years there. So right, yeah, it did. Yeah. It didn't fish for a few years. So, um, but before you get too much into the CM, mm-hmm. right? I mean, because uh, I'm really interested in your Bristol Bay fishery, but yeah. I but I also want to know. I mean. So at this point, you're 11 years in the fishery, as of today, as we sit here. Yeah. Uh, were you scared at all? Was there times when you were scared? And I mean, sure, yeah. There's there's lots of times when uh, uh, there's one year that my brother and I were fishing on the Arctic Osprey, like, uh, and the the salmon run just didn't come through like like we thought it would, 
and you know we had a lot of bills to pay we had just bought you know we were well we were still paying off the boat and still paying off the permit and stuff and so we didn't really know what we were going to do because we didn't catch enough fish and we we just barely made it by the skin of our teeth pulled it together and were able to pay our bills until you know next year's came along and and made it so that we we ended up okay but yeah i was i was scared i was going to lose everything and have to start over from square one so you were financially scared financially scared and How i mean physically scared physically you, scared there was yeah i got a let's see in i wish i could remember the year that i was on i did a fill-in job on the pacific mariner which is um a 108 foot crab boat we were going up to st matthews to do uh, blue crab it's way up there man way it's it took us like two and a half days just to get to the fishing grounds how big did you say she was i believe it's 108 it's it's uh That's similar to the world, av- like pretty much average size crab crab boat up there. yeah yeah so I jumped on there right after a red crab season. I got off the billiken. I was the chief engineer. And we go up there and we are just killing it. Just catching blue crab oh, like crazy, which is not a very common for that fishery. That's a really hard fishery and you usually don't do too well. But uh, How many a pot? We were getting about 40 to 50 a pot, which no. a, a good blue crab season, you're getting about 10 to 13 yeah. a pot. Yeah. So we were just on it. And uh, we did that for about 11 days. And I forget how much crowd we had in the hold, but we were going in, we were traveling into Dutch, had 140 pots on the boat and probably 40, 50,000 pounds of blues in the hold. And we were coming in and I remember um, one of the deckhands, Bobby, was was driving the boat and I was sitting shotgun uh, in the wheelhouse. We were just kind of BSing as we were heading in. Really rough weather. I mean, brutal weather. And we saw this wave come in. We were probably in about 20 to 25 footers, and we saw this wave that was, I mean, just towering over the rest. Probably, I, I don't want to say 40 because I, you know, I didn't have a measuring stick on it, right. but it was huge. And so we it was bolt, scary. It was scary. We, we ducked underneath the the dashboard there in the wheelhouse, and this wave hit so hard. A little bit of water coming in through the windows, and everything in the wheelhouse just went everywhere. Papers, computers, everything just went everywhere. And I got up and I, I looked over at Bobby and I go, I gotta go check my engine room. He's like, Yeah, okay. Starts trying to put everything together in the wheelhouse. I run down the stairs, get down there. And as I turn to the left, I see a four foot spray of water coming flying over the engine, just massive amounts of water, just flying into the engine room. And I go, Oh shit, right. we're sinking. So I ran back upstairs, woke everybody up, said, Hey, we're sinking. We got to handle this. And we're in rough weather and everybody's asleep. So they're kind of groggily getting up, get back down there. How, got, well, how long does it take you to wake up when someone says we're sinking? <laughs> I mean, they got up pretty quick. They were they were down there. I mean, you know, in a couple minutes there, and uh, and so we just got all the pumps, every single bilge pump we could get. We had our emergency suction pump going. We had our little diesel drive pump that you have out on deck. We had that pumping water out, and we just could we could barely keep up with the water, and it was coming in through uh, this uh, like six inch pipe that feeds the main with cold water to keep the main engine cool. So it was actually it from a pipe. It wasn't a... Yeah, it wasn't a hole damage, it wasn't a hole luckily. Damage. Okay, yeah. And uh, and so it's spraying this water, so it got up probably to the floorboards, which would be, if I was standing in the village, probably about waist height on me. So much water we so had. That's only, there. what, six or eight inches below the engines? Or oh, it was, it was already up to the engines. Already up to the engines. Oh, yeah, it was, it was up past the oil pan, just about to the point where we're going to lose our engine, and then we're really screwed, because then we'll go into the ditch and roll over. And uh, so. We ended up wrapping it with, a, we had a couple damage control kits, and we ended up wrapping it with old survival suit material, um, this stuff we call oil tape, um, oil tape, gorilla tape, 
No, not Gorilla no. Tape. It's um, Denzo Tape. Denzo Tape. Yeah. Denzo Tape. Yeah. Denzo Tape. Old survival suit. Uh, old rain gear. And we just because we couldn't get to the pipe to actually like fix it, and it yeah. was it was just broken. So we wrapped it up as much as we could, tied it off, and uh, and had to keep it running because it was the only thing cool in the main down was that water going in, so we could still use the main. Slowed the water down enough that our pumps could keep up with it, and then uh, we sat there for we were about eight hours outside of Dutch at normal speed and it took us i think 14 to 16 hours to get back actually into town and we sat there for 14 to 16 hours staring at our our all of our pumps making sure no rags or anything got sucked into them to stop them from working because yeah. if they did we were gonna sink that was extremely scary uh, i'm a little on on edge just from hearing it. yeah I mean, we got to town as soon as we tied that boat up to the dock i think everybody jumped off that boat and started kissing the ground we were so happy to make it in yeah so that was that was a pretty pretty scary one. It's, those uh those um patch kits are incredible. Oh yeah, it's you know I took a a damage control class after this, and uh, I was telling the guys what we used, and they're kind of like, wow, you should you should buy some real stuff, you know. But luckily, we just had the right stuff and and a good crew that kind of could figure out, okay, this is what we got to do to to that's, make it work. That's a serious panic. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, mm-hmm. I've heard some other guys talk about being in that kind of situation. You can't, you can't prepare for it. No, no, you can't at all. There's a, there's another time when I was on the Billiken, and I was up on the stack, and uh, we were stacking out to go home, and uh, we had full tanks of crab and full set of gear. So we were probably 140, 150 pots on the boat. And I was tying down pots up on top of the stack. And I hear the guys start yelling, what is going on? So I lean over the side and I just see water just pouring over the the starboard rail coming on deck. The guys are climbing up pots. They're climbing up the coiler. They're trying to get out of the water because there's so much water on deck. We're all going, what the heck's going on here? So I told Jim Hill, who was running it at the time, I I was waving to him because I couldn't talk to him because I was outside and he was inside. And we're taking on water. We're taking on water. And uh, so I run down there and everybody runs down. We look in the the lower four peak of the boat and there was a, a bulkhead hole that had not been sealed up so there's water just flooding down there so we had two or three feet of water down there that made the bow go way down which allowed water just to be pouring over the starboard rail and i remember we got the the pump going the dewatering pump down in the the lower four peak to get all the water out of there and i just kept remember hearing jim helped over the loud hither can, can we still fish can, can we still haul pots i'm like no jim we can't haul gear we got we got water coming on the boat. He's like, oh, finally he came down and realized, oh, okay, this is what's going on. And Okay, well, let's get this done. You know, saved it and got everything. I, I want to interject here just real quick because this is, this is probably the first time I thought about this during during all these that I've, that I've done. Um, I've never had somebody so animated. You're, <laughs> you're, you're not only talking, right, but you're playing hand charades. You're, <laughs> you're waving everything. The waves are coming over and your hands are going over. And uh this is this is almost one that needed to be on video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I you know, I kind of wish it was. Uh, not for any other reason. That's you know, that's just how I've talked, and I, you, I like you to talk a lot with your hands. I do, and I, I feel like that you know really kind of helps get the story across because it's it's hard for for the stuff that we go through up there in, yeah. in the Bering Sea or just on in, on fishing boats in general. I mean, it's so different than than normal people's jobs, and to try and explain a situation where you have a big wave come over and it like it blasts your buddy over and, and you can't find him. You're trying to look for him on deck and everything. And then you find him crumpled up underneath the sorting table. I mean, how do you explain that to somebody? Right. You lost your friend. You don't know where he went. And then all of a sudden you see him passed out underneath the sorting table. Like 
you know, so I try to, I try to really explain it the Animated. best I can. No, yeah. I think it's great. I'm, you know, but your real world experiences are not that much because you stepped out of high school and went straight to Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I, yeah, I don't think I've really had any other jobs. It, it sounds like you've had some good mentorship there. Your uncle took you up when you were 17. You did. You're, yeah. you're with family. You're learning mm-hmm. from family. Do you think he was tougher on you than some of these other skippers were? I, or? I, I know that Mongo was tougher on me than, than some guys. And uh, for the first, for probably about a year or two after that, I kind of resented him for it. You know, I was like, man, he was so like mean to me and hard on me. And it took me about two years to realize that he knew that I would be better than I was. And that's why he was so hard on me. And and now I appreciate it. Now I'm, I'm glad that he was kind of such an asshole because it made me, a better, a better man, better fisherman. Yeah, I was, I was speaking to a buddy today at work and, and mentioned that we were going to be getting together today. And he says, that guy, he's built like an 80s crab, like 80s <laughs> yeah. crabber. He said, you're just tough. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm 6'4", about 240 pounds. And, and I like to work. I, I That's what I like to do. And uh, I'm, so, glad, I'm glad you like to work because when we get down here, I got a few projects. On the mail <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> so uh, uh, you probably had some good times up there, too. It's oh, not, yeah. That, that was a pretty scary story, though. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I just can't even imagine it. I, I, sometimes it still gives me shivers thinking about, you know, like the exact moment. Like the moment that I remember the most about being on that Pac-Man was just taking that step down the engine room and turning to my left and seeing that water spray in. Slow motion. Yeah, exactly. Slow motion. My heart sank and I just go, oh, we are sinking. Like this boat's going down. And I'll never forget that. That's, that's oh, something no. that I'll just. No. I, don't think, I don't think our listeners are going to forget that. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk about some fun experiences. We have mm-hmm. to have some of those too. Well, uh, fun experience this last year, um, in Bristol Bay, I was running the Finnegan and I had, uh, um, one of my buddies with me and two good, two good deckhands. So the four of us were on the boat and we just got into the fish big time. I mean, we were bringing in 20 to 30,000 pounds of fish a day, which for a good day in Bristol Bay, you try and hit anywhere from 5,000 pounds to 10,000 pounds a day. We were bringing in 20 to 30. That was just last year. This was th- this year. Yeah. It, and it was a killer season. It was un- unbelievable. I mean, we would offload and I'd be like, guys, don't even worry about anything. Just get the net ready. We're setting it. We'd turn around 500 feet later. I'm telling them to throw the net back out in the water and we drift right up. Be filling up. I mean, it was awesome. It was so much fun. And how your boat is doing changes everything about it, doesn't it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned before uh, your worst, your biggest fear that mm-hmm. you ran into up there, at least at, before we got to the physical part, was financial. Yeah. And that was because you were not catching fish. Yeah. So here you find yourself deck loading. Yeah. And you're not worried about that anymore. No. Now, no. now all you got to worry about is, okay, are my guys going to be able to move tomorrow? Because I'm working them so hard, you know, for the last three or four days. Does that no matter sleep. when the net's full? To me, no. <laughs> and, and I know, like that this year too, my my guys were getting kind of kind of grouchy and mad at me for the first couple days of it because yeah, I was working them to the bone, you know. But then they kind of started to do the numbers on their own. They kind of started to realize, hey, he's working us extra hard, but we're making more money than we've ever made in our lives. And as long as we keep doing this, I mean, we're gonna go home. And and two of the guys, you know, they don't have to pay for. I paid for their their college. Or well, I didn't. You know, I paid them. They were going to be able to pay for it with no well, loans or anything. They worked for it, right? <laughs> they worked for it, absolutely. But you know, that's a pretty cool thing for them. They don't have to worry about any loans. So I, when I asked you about uh, your scary experience, the first one was financial. Yeah. When I asked you about your fun experience, it was financial. Yeah. But now let's get a funny story. Though. A funny story. 
let's see. You don't have to dig hard. I know you. I know. I'm trying to think. There's shoot. I don't know. I mean, there's there's a, there's a great clip that I have um, that I wish I could show the the listeners of uh, when I was cod fishing on the Billiken. And I, most people probably wouldn't think this is fun, but uh, I was running the block, and uh, my buddy Tiki, big small guy, was uh, throwing the hook. He throws the hook, and he uh, he hands the buoys off to me, and I'm gonna put the buoys into the block. The block is the thing that pulls the crab pots on board, and uh, so I get it in, and it's of course rough weather. We're in the Bering Sea, and this wave comes over, and I just get the diver bag just through the block, and this wave just hits me and just takes me out, wipes me like halfway down the deck and I'm and you see this on this video clip and uh I get blasted back and when the water recedes I'm still holding on to that diver bag and I get up throw the diver bag behind me and I grab the rest of the line I put it in the coiler run back turn the block full speed and it's like still going brother and ain't got, nothing gonna slow us down and you got this on video I do yeah well I mean we can we could probably put a link to it on sure, the, yeah, on the bottom of this out. podcast when you're checking out the, the section guys of the description check there and, and if, if he can get it to me I'll put yeah. it on there I'll, I'll, I'll get it, uh, got it somewhere. So, yeah. So that's, I mean, you know, most people probably wouldn't think that's fun getting blasted by a wave and, and getting soaking wet. And this uh, is, this is know. a guy who wanted to make his living as a snowboard guy. Right? So <laughs> yeah. Well, you're just boarding across and, the deck there. And just getting, you know, blasted. So I want to, I want to be clear with some of our listeners though. Um, you, you were, do, you were doing cod, yeah. but you were doing them with pots. Yeah. So, so this is just like crab fishing, but yeah. So sometimes, um, in between like king crab and opie season, there's, um, there's pot cod openers, so we still we we rig the crab pots so that they will hold, you know, they'll catch codfish, and so to make a little extra money, we'll go uh, cod fishing with our crab gear, and then uh, once you know that season's over, then we'll switch back over to crab. So obviously, uh, you changed something about the the pot then. Yeah, so each crab pot has um, has uh, tunnels and triggers that uh, that allow crab to go in and you know not allow them to get back out. So you take that that trigger mechanism and you take that off and you put one that's specifically designed to allow codfish in and not back out. So it's it's not too big of a change. It's pretty easy, you know, a couple zip ties and don't they have some uh, some sharp edges on? Yeah. So they have almost like fingers that stick inwards and they they cross sex. So when the fish the fish can swim in like through the fingers, but then they're pointed the the sharp points are pointed inwards in the pot. So the fish can't, it you know, pokes them so they don't want to swim back out. Back out, yeah. yeah. Which so. do, which is like better, crabbing or cod? Oh my, hate cod fishing. <laughs> it's such a grind, man. We, well, this uh, last year the prices were so good, it had to be. The the price was really good. Uh, I fished pot cod this year, and we were catching a lot of cod. Did pretty well. Um, but it is, I mean, we work twenty four seven, uh, and just rotate on deck. So we always have one guy in the rack, and the boat's always, uh, always running. So, um. Still doing the Finnegan now today. Yep. You plan on going up this next year. Yep. And you've been now on the CM, the Cray Marie. No, I'm not on the, the CM anymore. Okay. Uh-huh. We moved from there. So I, uh, we we kind of skipped over that because I was avoiding that part until we. Yeah. So I understand that, again, Casey just called you up. And, or, no, no, your uncle. My uncle up. called me up yep. and said he, you know, he wanted me to come work on the Cornelia. And I was like, yeah, okay. You know, there's probably some room for advancement there. It sounds like a good idea. So I jumped on there and. Uh, I really enjoyed my time working on there. It was a good group of guys, and the boat's set up really nice now. And uh, and some things happen, you know, what I would rather not get into them. But uh, it was time for me to get onto another boat, and uh, I, I got on the Brené. So now I'm on the Brené, and I've been on there for the last uh, year and a half, almost two years. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. For some reason, I'm 
you know, I, I was still thinking you were on the CM, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I can't keep up, you know. Yeah, well, it's it's hard, you know. I I don't jump boats too much, but I used to. Um, it, you know, in between seasons, I used to try and go on any boat that would take me after the main boat that I was working on. Once it was done, I'd try and get on any other boats. I get more experience, more money. You know, you're going after scraps, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so. So you're at this point, what, 29, 28, 29, 29. Mm-hmm. And uh, how's the life fishing has given? I mean, it, it the life that fishing has given me has given me a lot of freedom. And when I'm not fishing, I'm traveling. You know, I've been all over the world. Uh, I have a lot of off time and I'm able to do whatever I want with that off time. I don't, you know, I don't have to get up at, you know, nine o'clock in the morning to go to work or anything like that. So I like it. And. You know, it's allowed me to live comfortably and just kind of enjoy myself when I'm not up there. You chasing any snow slopes? Uh, I, you know, I used to really be into snowmobiling, but uh, I haven't been in the last couple of years just because uh, I've been working too much. So I haven't been able to do that. But no, I don't, I don't snowboard anymore. My, my dreams of being a professional snowboarder gone, went out the window a long time ago. Did they? Yeah. So never, never went back to that. You know, when we had Jack on here, Captain, you have in Columbia. Uh-huh. He was a surf, surfing bum. He, he was, yeah. Well, I, I can't say bum because he worked his ass off to be able to do it, but I mean, he just chased the water. Oh yeah, you know. Uh-huh. So I didn't know if you were getting off the boat chasing the snow. Oh no, no, I just chase the sun now. Oh, Try, yeah. You know, it's so cold up there and everything that I like to be warm on a beach. You know, that's that's my idea of happiness now. Just kind of hanging out, enjoying the sun, and no worries. So can you um can you describe a cold experience up there? What you know that sure there's a lot of a lot of folks are they get like right now in seattle it's uh 40 degrees and people are so bundled up that they don't yeah well uh one of the colder experiences i had um i was on the columbia working for jack actually it was the middle of winter and uh for some reason our forward hydraulic station wasn't working so i had to run the hydraulic controls the net reel to bring the net aboard and everything from the very back of the boat and the wind chill was so bad. I think it was somewhere around negative 19, pretty cold. And I was bundled up. I had uh, long underwear, two sweatshirts, two sets of rain gear, a big puffy life jacket, and just bundled up. So once we got done working on deck, um, I walked inside to where we, where we change our rain gear. And I just remember kind of like like stretching my arms back, you know, like you do. And I hear this cracking, and I'm like, what, what the heck? I took my uh, my rain gear off, and I had about half an inch of ice built up on the back of my rain gear, and that's that's cold when when you got that much ice some, built up. Some listeners might have a concept of negative nineteen, mm-hmm. but negative nineteen on the open water, wind is, chill is different. It is than, than any other negative nineteen you're gonna experience. Oh yeah, because I mean, if you got negative nineteen just just on land or something, you don't have somebody sitting there with a garden hose spraying you in the face. <laughs> you know? it, it changes the aspect and that's it. and that's what it's like in the bearing sea you got water flying everywhere wind and the boat's not stable so you're slipping on all the ice that's on deck yeah it's it's pretty miserable really traditionally this is the this would be a, the point where i'd kind of ask you know hey uh how do you you know how would you suggest some young buck get in there but mm-hmm. you're you're still young yourself i mean 11 years though that's 11 hard years doing yeah that. um so what would you suggest to these guys just stepping out of high school i mean what Stepping out of high school and, and how to get into the fishing industry, um, I would honestly say try to get into the salmon industries, uh, like uh, Bristol Bay is a great way, um, or uh, Saning down in Southeast. And that, that way you kind of get your foot in the door and you're not, I mean, 
crab fishing is extremely difficult. And if you go up there and just think that you're going to be a great crab fisherman, probably not. So test out one of the fisheries that's not quite as difficult, one of the salmon industries or even Polytron, and see, you know, see if it's for you. And then if, if you if you really like that, then you know, step up to the big leagues and try and get on a crab boat. And how to do that? Just start stomping on the docks or, you know, if you know somebody in the industry, you got to call them and say, hey, who do I talk to or what companies can I apply to or how do I go about doing this? And then once you get that opportunity, you know, once, once, yeah, once you get that opportunity, just yes, sir, man. So um, one more subject I'd like to touch on. We've never touched on this in any of the podcasts before, mm-hmm. so you're certainly not prepared for this. <laughs> That's all right. But um, boat dreams. You, yeah. You dream different and you sleep different Absolutely. when you're on a boat than you do on uh-huh. land. Can you? So we, we call them fish dreams. Okay. My uh, but, say, but it's the same thing. I knew exactly what you're talking about. Um, I remember the first time that I had some fish dreams. I was on the Snowy River, my uncle's gillnetter, the very first boat that I ever went on. And I was sleeping in, you know, in my uh, in the little four peak where I slept. And I kept thinking that I had to be out on deck working because the net was, I was dreaming, remember, the net was coming into my, my room where I'm sleeping. So I'm laying there asleep trying to pick these fish out of this this net that I'm dreaming about. I kept waking up going, oh, no, I'm just sleeping. I'm just sleeping. And it's just the weirdest thing because it's so vivid. And you're just you've been working so much doing the same thing over and over again that even in even in your sleep, you're still doing it. And you remember every detail. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I You know, you got this. Oh, I can't so get this fish out. I, yeah. I got to share you. I share mine with you. Yeah. Uh, mine's a little different. It's a tank. I mean, I'm in the fish tank. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and this fish tank, it doesn't have a suction hose in it. It's got a drain, oh, exactly no, yeah. like your bathtub. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, for whatever reason, and this is still vivid today, I'm standing right on the edge of the fish tank, and my mom's talking to me. What, <laughs> I, what she's doing on the boat, I don't know. Yeah. And I go, Mom, don't worry about it. It's fine. And I nest tea plunge, you know, just kind of the backwards fall, <laughs> yeah. thinking I'm going to be landing all this water. Uh-huh. And, and again, it's a vivid dream. I hit the bottom of the fish tank, and it didn't have any water in it. So now I feel like I got a head head injury, right? But then uh-huh. then all of a sudden it's full of water again, and I'm swirling around, you know, <laughs> yeah. going down and down and down. But otherwise, again, those are vivid and they stick. With, they're so clear. Yeah, you'll never forget it. But then at the same time, I've never slept better than I have on boats. I always, as soon as I step foot uh, for a new season, you know, we fly up to Alaska and I step foot on the boat that first night. Oh man, it's like I'm out like a like a light, just That's, great. Something about living on the water. I don't know what it is, but you just for me, I'm back home. That's and that's, that's where, why you and I are like sitting me. here right now. Yeah. There's no place I'd rather be than on a boat. Yep. You know, too, when I when I go to sleep. You know? Absolutely. So, um, well, Willie, uh, this has been Willie Manchester with us today. I yeah. I can't thank you enough for coming out. I, I I'm glad you invited me down. I heard a couple of your your other uh, casts here, and I wanted to do it. It was fun. Well, I I hope that you yeah hope you've enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're gonna change things up just a little bit today. Uh. We've been getting a couple, um, before we close out, Yeah. Uh, we've been getting a couple of these uh, uh, letters that come in. Sure. And I think we should do a little, like, mail call. Okay. And uh, me reading a very long paragraph is not going to be <laughs> the best thing, so we'll probably, I'll probably read this a little slow. But I want to I give you guys an idea of some of the feedback that we've had from the show so far. Mm-hmm. And, and also encourage any of you listening to, to, uh, to write in, and we'll provide that information here for you. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to read this letter for you. Uh, it is coming from Sue Freeze. Mm-hmm. Hi, Mark. This is Sue Freeze. I'm not sure we've ever met. I'm married to Jeff, who I'm sure you know is the captain of the Viking Explorer. 
He shared with me the link to your new podcast, Galley Stories. I just want to personally thank you for undertaking this project and to, and to encourage you to continue it. I've listened, captivated, to each of the first four. They naturally each have their own flavor and color, but they are perfectly captured hearing the stories told by fishermen themselves in their own voice with a little prompting if necessary. I've been with Jeff for 37 years. Hearing the tales of just the first four, names and boats mentions are all familiar. The stories, the backgrounds, the history, what a great way to preserve this way of life. Listening to Tor speak of Kari reminded me of meeting him and his wife when they came camping here once in Long Beach. What a good man he was. I look forward with great anticipation to more episodes. Sincerely, Sue Priest. So guys, um, that's what we're looking for is more feedback like that. Um, I encourage you to, uh, first of all, uh, follow us on Twitter at Galley Stories. We have a whole four followers right now. I'm really excited about that. Um, and then also to uh, encourage you to follow, like, and subscribe and share with those that you think might be interested. And any uh, questions and comments uh, and uh, stories like this or, or uh, letters like this, please just go ahead and email mark at galleystories.net. Willie, you have anything to add? Uh, you know. I think it's pretty awesome to hear some feedback like that. And for me personally, if you guys have any questions, whatever, um, I'd be happy to get back to Mark any other time and answer any that you have for me. And I'm sure the other guys would too. But uh, yeah, keep tuning in. And there's there's all kinds of stories that you haven't heard yet. I know if I know anything about the fishing industry, these fishermen, they got, they got some tales that will <laughs> blow your mind. Great. All right, guys. So that's going to be it from the Gale today. Uh, this has been uh, Galley Stories, and I'm your host, Mark Ayler, and uh, we'll see you next time.